Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Dr. Ed Madden and Anne Chadwell Humphreys. Ed Madden is a poet, activist, and former director of Women's and Gender Studies at the University of South Carolina. He is also the Columbia City Poet Laureate and author of four books of poetry, Signals, which won the 2007 South Carolina Poetry Book Prize, Prodigal Variations, Nest, and Ark. And Anne is author of An Eclipse and a Butcher, which is her first book of poetry. So welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you. Great to have you both here virtually. Uh, So April is National Poetry Month, and we're right here at the end of March as we're recording uh, today's podcast. And it's really great to have two poets on at one time so that we can talk a lot about poetry. So I'd like to kind of jump right into the conversation. And um, Anne, I'd like to start with you and kind of tell us a little bit about how you got started writing poetry and also tell us about your new book, An Eclipse and a Butcher. Thanks, Curtis. Good to be with Ed too. As a girl in rural Texas, I recited poetry in competitions. Not until I retired did I begin writing creatively. And I started by attending community writing classes. And then I attended something with Ed at Richland Library and different poetry workshops, joined the Poetry Society of South Carolina and began to be pulled to poetry. And one reason is that I have uh, retinitis pigmentosa, which is, and I'm a talking books patron. And over the course of maybe 30 years, my, my vision gradually diminished from hula hoop to donut to straw. And I was finding that in prose, which I could write perfectly fine in my business and in my family memories, it was too cumbersome for me. So I liked the poetry so much because it had boundaries. And I start a lot with form. I respect form of poetry. I write a lot in form. I may not stay in that form, but that's how I get started. An Eclipse and a Butcher is my first collection. And I'm very honored to be the second in the Muddy Ford Press Laureate series with Ed Madden as editor. That was a a transformational experience. This time last year, we had not started. Ed had my poems in print and document form. And at this time, he had not been able to. But in May, though, after the semester stopped, he spread the poems out on his green sofa like a deck of cards, and he began making stacks. And the poems, he said, began to talk to each other and began to develop something of a narrative or what I like to call a heartbeat. That's an amazing description. I really uh, you know, could kind of see in my mind how that process uh, worked for, for you and for Ed to put all of the, the poems that were selected to, uh, to go into your, your book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really neat. And by the way, uh, thank you for mentioning a little bit earlier in your introduction that you are a patron of our Talking Book Services program. And just for folks who don't know, that's a program 
uh, that is from the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Impaired. And every I think every state has, has mm -hmm. one affiliated with their state library. So we have about uh, over 5,000 patrons statewide. And, and, and Chadwell Humphrey's name is uh, always on the tip of my tongue when I'm thinking about talking book service because she's such a great <laughs> patron of ours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I often read from the app, the downloadable app, and just to let people know. So each state has their own collection, but there's a national, and these are professionally read books. And so I can download, I can fast forward, I can rewind and all that stuff on an app. And so I'm often listening while I'm folding laundry or slopping the hogs or signing a peace treaty. You know, it is a great resource. And I also have cartridges. Well, for me, two versions of the Bible and uh, Cheslas Milov's Book of Luminous Things, which is a wonderful book of poetry. So I have my digital player. So it, it needs, I need all of these things for different occasions. And it's so much better than it was even five years ago. I hope anyone who can't, who reads with more than their eyes or needs trouble, has trouble turning a page, great talking book services are available. Oh, thank you. And I did not pay Anne to uh, give that wonderful, wonderful promotion. No, you didn't. It's true. It's true. <laughs> well, we greatly appreciate the kind words, and we'll certainly include a link to the South Carolina Talking Book Services uh, in our podcast episode. So, Ed, why don't we go ahead and chat with you for a second, if you could tell us a little bit about your work and also specifically the Laureate series that Anne's book is a part of. Sure. So I was named the poet laureate, the first poet laureate for the city of Columbia in January 2015. It's a four-year term, and then it's renewable for one more term. So I'm in I'm in my second term now, and I will I will step down at the end of 2022. But not long after I started, um, Cindy Border, who's the editor at Muddy Ford Press, uh, a little regional arts press uh, based here just outside of Columbia, um, she approached me to talk about how about a series that would put established poets um, working with emerging poets. So the idea is that, uh, that I would help poets um, who are starting to publish to put together their first manuscript and that Muddy Ford would publish it. And so the first one we did was Tim Conroy. Uh, his Theologies of Terrain was the first book we did in the series. And that was, it was great fun. We met frequently to talk about poems and it was working through the manuscript at both a micro level, sort of looking at particular poems and how we might work with them, but also a macro level, what is the shape of the overall book. So I, uh, Anne Humphreys was the second one we selected, um, and I kind of had a similar process with her, but of course we had COVID. Um, so, <laughs> so I couldn't meet with her at a coffee shop and talk about poems, but we did um, work through them in similar ways that I, you know, I, I did a, when she first sent me, uh, a massive work, which was just a delight to go through. Um, I first sort of broke them down into three groups. So the ones that I was certain were going to be in the book, the ones that were maybes for the book, and the ones that I thought really weren't for the book. So that was my first thing. And then I took the ones that were certain. And as she said, one of the ways I like to organize a book, and I should give credit where credit is due, Kwame Dawes suggested this, this method, which just spread everything out on the floor, because it's hard to... to when things are in sequence on your computer, or even if you have them in sequence mm -hmm. in a stack of paper, it's really hard to figure out the shape of the book and which poems are talking to each other, which poems need to belong together. 
So I spread them out um, across my sofa, across the floor of the living room, um, and I put them together in bunches that seem to work together. Um, I try to think about which three to five poems feel like opening poems, which three poems feel like closing poems, uh, which long poem might be the anchor at the center of the book, those kinds of things, and start thinking about sections. And so I would, I, I, we worked back and forth by email of sending things back and forth and talking about what the order might be. And then also at the sort of micro level of going through particular poems and thinking about, um, is this the right wording? Is this the right phrasing? Is this where we want to break that line? All those kinds of things. And it was real. first I want to say it was really fun because uh, it's fun. <laughs> it is fun to work with someone who's beginning to see a book come together. Um, I think with both Tim and Anne, as I mean, obviously I had a kind of heavy hand as editor because I'm trying to think about what would this look like as a book? What poems work together to sort of come together um, to make a book manuscript? But it's just such fun for them to see, oh, you're going to put that with that. Oh, you think that's a good poem. Um, or even sometimes, you don't like that poem? I really want this in the book. Can you look at it again? Um, so all those kinds of, of questions uh, going on. So she's the second. And then we have a third in process right now, Angelo Jeter, who is the poet laureate of Rock Hill. Um, we're going to do his book as the third in the series, and it'll come out later this year. So that's how the series works. And it's all, all through Money Ford Press. And again, the idea was to put an established poet, preferably a poet laureate, in, in a working relationship with emerging poet. I know she had in mind when she first called it the laureate series of maybe getting uh, Marcus Amaker down in Charleston or Marjorie Wentworth to work with a poet as well. But so far, it's been, it's, it's been me, which has been fun. He's a great poet, too. Uh, one of the municipal poets at Rock Hill. I would like to say mention Christina Zan in this process, who is a PhD candidate at USC. Um, because I read and write with assistive technology, bump dots on my keyboard, um, she and I teamed up with Ed and she would interpret for me. She would tell me what the poems looked like on the page and she would help me comb through every space, every punctuation, every word, letter, stands a line break. And I give her great uh, credit. And she was served as an associate director of the USC Writing Center at that time. And Ed gave some of my poems a pretty good haircut sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> one in particular was called My Father's Birth. And he said, and this is a preamble. This, you don't really get to the energy to the of the poem until right here. And and I, I was kind of, what do I do? I, do I do this? Do I do that? And he said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're the poet and you can do it. And what was, ex what was so exceptional about the experience, which I do not take for granted, is exquisite kindness. With Ed, you said you might be a heavy editor. I never felt that. You had a beautiful light touch, which takes skill. And you would shoot me little emails of encouragement. Don't second guess yourself. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. Sometimes I said, trust your reader. Cause I think sometimes yeah. I think all of, us, all of us want to explain our poems, stick, you know, three to five to 10 to 20 lines on at the end to explain mm -hmm. what we just did. I, I know that was one of my little comments to you as well. Trust your reader. These are amazing mm -hmm. poems. Thank you. And Anne, I'd like to talk a little bit more specifically about an eclipse and a butcher. Um, 
And I'll let you know that uh, I I had three favorites, and I'll oh, tell you good. I'll I'll tell you what they are. The okay. first one was three dreams um, <laughs> about the sisters, and okay. then the uh, the title uh, poem, an eclipse and a butcher, which gave me amazing visuals. I just you know reading that could see the entire entire thing, and okay. then. Um, my third favorite was say the words uh, <laughs> uh, about, you know, about death. <laughs> so I'll kind of. That's actually the one I decided to read. That's the one I, I decided to read today. Oh, okay. Wonderful. That. Wonderful. Yeah. I love it too. It's, um, it's very meaningful. Uh, during this past year of COVID, my mother actually passed away uh, this past October. And so that, that really kind of was, was very touching at the same time spoke to a lot of the strength in the words of, you know, um, saying the words. So I appreciated that as well. But what I wanted to ask you specifically before we hear you both read, uh, read a poem is how did the process of the title of the whole book come about? How was it decided an eclipse and a butcher? Um, that, um, that really, yeah. I, if I can jump in and I think yes, that I was, want to. for me early on, there were three eclipse poems. And for me also an eclipse and a butcher is one of the strongest poems of the whole batch. So for me, the book felt like it could shape itself around those three punctuating poems about the eclipse um, but that that one was such a strong central poem and I put it in the middle section which are mostly family poems um, it felt like such a strong poem I thought this really could is this could be the title poem because um, it's also just an amazing title. Thank you you also suggested maybe another title um, maybe we I want to think about and I thought that was a good exercise and I sat on that for a while for one week and researched, but this is the poem that emerged and you respected my choice. I'm also so delighted you, you chose so many family poems. It was really affirming and Curtis, that one, that poem, that really happened. And the cover of the book is the age, the picture on the cover of the book is the age my siblings and I were during that time. That was the eclipse and right before Kennedy was assassinated. Well, it certainly is, um, you know, fascinating to how how the how each section pulls everything together. So I, I mm -hmm. really could pick up on that. So um, as we're talking about some specific poems, Anne, why don't we start with you if you'd like to recite one of your poems? Uh, sure. And then, and then we'll hear from Ed. Okay. This is called the Friendship Blessing, and I wrote it for a nonprofit to which I belong, that provides services. It's called thefriendship.org. It provides services for those of us over the speed limit to be active participatory people in the community. And this is was my gift to them to do with what they want. A friendship blessing. When others are gone, let us be your company. When you feel restricted, let us restore you. When you have places to go, let us take you. When you can't find a way, let us make one. When you're reluctant to ask, you can ask us. When you offer yourself, we welcome you. When you want to dance, let us be your partner. 
When you want to sing, let us play the music. That's beautiful. I love the repetition of when you, um, because it, it makes you think of all the different things that not only you yourself uh, do in a day or, or do in a year, but um, what to do when. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I, I love that poem. And and I told Anne, this is the kind of thing you want to hang on your kitchen wall. Because I mean, it's just such a... <laughs> such a nice blessing you could also hear this being read out or recited at a frankly a, a big dinner or thanksgiving dinner or some holiday event this because it has such a an, um it's a it's a it's, it's a prayer it's a blessing may you may when you do this mm -hmm. let us do this um so I, I i just love the poem and Anne very sweetly um made a really nice printed copy and sent it to me so i can hang it on my wall that's um, great but it's a lovely poem I think it's relevant for National Poetry Month too, Curtis and Ed, because if you listen to it, consider it the voice of poetry. Let us keep you company, or of poems. Let us restore you. Let us take you. Let us find a way. That is what poetry does for, for me. It, it, it brings a whole new dimension to the quality of life that I choose to live. It is so rich in meaning, punched so, packs so much power in so few words. It, I cannot not have it. <laughs> it's essential. <laughs> That's great. All right, Ed, uh, why don't we go ahead and hear from you? So of all the poems in here, it was hard to, to decide which one to read, but I, I absolutely love the poem, Say the Words, and it's, it's subtitled Instructions from My Mother. I just love the directness of this, the almost flatness of it. Anyway, it's a stunning poem, so let me read it. Say the words, instructions from my mother. When I die, say the words. Say that I died. Say she died. Say my mother died. Not that I passed, passed away, passed on, nor that you lost me. I'm not lost. I'm dead. Say the words. Say that I died. Thank you. It's 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 really powerful, and I'm I'm really I'm I'm really excited that you know as I read through this, that was one of my favorites, and that was also the one you happened to uh, to pick to read. So that means a lot to mm -hmm. me personally. Well, it's just such a stunning poem because it's it's first of all that it's in the voice of the mother, but also that it's resisting euphemism. I mean, it's in a in a book mm -hmm. of poetry, it's saying, don't make this poetic, right? It's saying, just say what happened. Um, I liked it when I was reading it to myself and I reread it. I said, you know, that's a great example of say what you mean and mean what you say. <laughs> Ed, I liked, uh, Curtis, at the book launch, at the end, after we were done and we had it open, Ed kept it open for comments. My brother urged my mother to read that poem. And I think that is what brought the house down. Her voice, she, I didn't even know she was reading it. That's how she talks. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what a beautiful record and what a beautiful gift to be given by your family. 
It really is, and and I appreciate all of the all of what you're saying about that. So, um, as as we wrap up our conversation, which has been wonderful, I just have a few last talking points. So if each of you could just say maybe you know what writing poetry means to you, and and any other ways you would encourage folks to celebrate National Poetry Month. So, Ed, let's hear from you first. I mean, what writing poetry means to me? What a big question, Curtis. <laughs> For me, it's a way of slowing down and paying attention. It's a way of organizing thoughts and emotions and feelings and words, a way of finding meaning. I, I really want to think that way, that a poem, a poem, D.H. Lawrence says a poem is an act of attention. You're paying attention mm -hmm. to the world um, in a different way. Um, and in doing so, you're finding some kind of meaning, some kind of gratitude, some kind of light there. National Poetry Month, for the City Poet Laureate, this has always been a fun month because we've usually done some sort of prank um, or some sort of, I like as the City Laureate, not only creating venues for local voices, uh, but coming up of, uh, with ways of making poetry a public art and putting poetry into daily life in some way. So we've done poems on the little cardboard coffee sleeves at local coffee shops. We've done poems in ink on the sidewalks so that they only show up when it rains. We call them rain poems. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago when April 1st, the beginning of Poetry Month, but also mm -hmm. April's Day, fell on a Saturday, the day that the city does not ticket uh, traffic parking tickets downtown, we distributed 2,500 fake parking tickets all over downtown with poems on them. Um, <laughs> and I have to admit, I, for me, that's been my favorite, my favorite thing we've done. Uh, we did no advanced publicity and we got more social media out of that than any other project we've done because it was beautiful day. Soda City Market was packed. There were all sorts of events happening downtown. Um, the only thing we did was we did uh, Lee Snellgrove at One Columbia, who is my, my amazing collaborator on these things. Um, he sent a, and that's One Columbia for Arts and History, which is the, the sort of arts organization for the city. He he sent a, 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 an image of one of the parking tickets to the mayor the night before. Mm -hmm. The mayor just texted back, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a fun project. And we don't have, we don't have a, a, a sort of project like that this year, but we do have banners. So starting last year, we started putting banners in downtown, mainly on Main Street, but also sometimes on the Vista. So we have banners that have lines from poems by South Carolina poets. So some major poets like James Dickey or Nikki Finney, uh, some local poets people might know uh, like Ray McManus, a really lovely South Carolina poet who passed away, Susan Lauder Myers. Um, so if you drive um, downtown during April, look for those banners um, on Main Street or on uh, Gervais, banners celebrating National Poetry Month. Um, but I'm hoping next year is my last year. So I'm trying to, th I, I want to do something crazy next year. So, so we'll see what we do, but, but so far the parking tickets um, have been my favorite of our ways of making poetry a public art. Oh, I should say one other thing, if you don't mind, if, if yeah. uh, God forbid you end up in the emergency room in any of the Prisma hospitals, one of my students, um, I did a class on poetry um, and community, community engagement and they had to come up with projects like this of putting poetry in daily life. And one of the students had spent a lot of time in the hospital because her father um, had kidney disease. 
And so she, her group did a project where they put poems in waiting rooms. And some of the folks at Prisma were so delighted by them, they asked us to do something else. So we have a team, it's on hold because of COVID, but we have a team who are trying to come up with ways of using uh, poetry and, and literary art in the hospital. And uh, they asked me to write a poem for their emergency guide. So the emergency guide that's in all of the Prisma hospitals in the Midlands and maybe Greenville as well, um, has a little tiny prayer poem on the back of it that I wrote. And it's all because I had a student who thought one place we can put poems is in, in hospitals. So it's just a lovely project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm underwriting a poetry contest with the Palmetto Conservation, I'm sponsoring, Palmetto Conservation Foundation. And they're taking, I'm offering a cash prize and they are opening it to the membership to write poems about the Palmetto Trail. And another thing, when um, North Main, Ed, I really liked the year when you, um, with the group chose North Main to feature that because that pulls in other parts of the city. Uh, and those poems get shown inside the buses, which is so much fun. Yeah, I, actually, thanks, Anne. I totally forgot about bus poetry, but we have a current, uh, if people are listening, we, we're calling for another round of bus poems right now. And it's kind of a rolling deadline. We're just going to go until we have 30 amazing poems because we usually try to get 30. But our theme this year is when it's over. Um, so most of the poems that are coming in are about when COVID's over, when the pandemic is over. Um, but some of them are about when winter is over. Some of them are about when the semester is over. I just ask people to think about that. And so we're asking for tiny poems. They have to be 10 lines or fewer um, because they have to fit on one of those little bus placards, but also be big enough font that we can read them. But yeah, we've done bus poems. I think this is our fifth iteration of this project. Um, so thank you, Anne, for reminding me of that. Of course. That's why I'm here. <laughs> we support each other. Well, it sounds like you all have got a lot of wonderful projects and um, it's really great what you're doing. And I love all the ideas of being able to use poetry as as blessings and make people feel comforted maybe in, in you know, bad times and, and it does something uplifting for them. So I think that's greatly appreciated. And I really want to just thank both of you for being with us today as we head into celebrating National Poetry Month. So thank you. Thank you for yeah. inviting us. This was fun. It always is fun. You do a nice job, Curtis. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening. Thank you.